0: of it, they are a part of this, you know, that's one of the things, one of the, the positive things that things came, came out of COVID, if there's such a thing as a positive thing, thing. but was our, our online, online church, church kind of got structured, structured. oh, I've oh, got to release, release the, the, children, children. the children, right? I keep forgetting I'm doing Catherine's job now. Okay, all super kids, you may go to your class, follow Miss Angie. The jam club will be, we're back in our regular classroom, and the super kids, so jam club, which is what, three to six? Four to six over here, and seven to twelve over there. Praise God. Okay, so here we go. Let's see how many. It's funny, last week I started doing this and people started tagging like, oh, okay, we're here, we're here, we're here, right? So I just want to welcome Danny, Daniel Garza, of course, he was part of our church, still part of our church, even though he moved, and my sister and my brother-in-law, Darcy and Ted, watching us all the way from Augusta, God bless you. Good to see Odell Alaniz, I remember him, from our youth group. Welcome back. Travis Maritza. Trying to go some down the list here. So if you if you commented, I see your name, Tencha. Miss Vela, also welcome. And that's all the ones I have so, so far. So again, welcome for our online audience, and of course, welcome for the in-house. Are you ready for the word this morning? Yes. Alright, let's get it right into it. So a few weeks ago, we started this series on on foundations, and I say this every time I open it just so we know where I'm coming from it. This is not, you know, you could go to the internet and do a a search and, you know, foundations for Christian living, and I'm sure there's some great ones out there. This is basically, this was more of a personal approach in my life. This is, what are the things that made a difference in my life almost 30 years ago? Now, the very first things that my wife and I got a hold of, the very first things that we had to manage and work through and try to understand. And that's one of the missions, you know, for everyone to understand, those of you in the house, for those watching us online. Um, one of the things that I hope from what I do is that we, we can build a bridge. That's really my mission, you know, because there's some things, you know, I look back at the life of, example, Brother Copeland, how he's influenced our life, his teachings. Well, that guy, you know, he's been in the ministry 60 years. But by him teaching the things... We didn't have to go 60 years to learn them, you understand? But even some of the things that we've learned, to take, it took us a few years to, to completely understand how they work, and then, you know, after you learn them, then you can teach them, and that's really my, my goal, is that we can build a bridge where you don't have to be here 30 years, you don't have to be here 20 years to figure something out, but you'll get some information, and one of the things that we've discovered in, um, in these things, and I think most of you have discovered it, that's why you're here this morning, is that the word of God works. Can I hear an Amen. But you got to work it, right? It doesn't just work. you got to work it. And religion many times has taught us that, well, you know, it is what it is, and so be it. And no, it's not. You know, God gave you a say. God gave you, God gave you the ability. God gave you the, how can I put it, the, the strength, the wisdom, if you dig up his wisdom, to determine your destiny by the decisions that you make. Are you here? You made a decision to be here this morning. That's a good decision. But there's also decisions that we make every day of our life. You know, you wake up tomorrow and make hundreds of decisions every day. And, you know, decisions, when they're based on your feelings, when they're based just on your attitude, when they're based on your life, sometimes they don't turn out that good because our decisions sometimes are emotionally charged or anger-filled or whatever. But um, when you make decisions based on what God said, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense what he said, the decision will have a good result. Are you still here? So that's what we're here, you know, we're here learning how to you know, frame our mind. We're learning here how to renew our mind. I talked quite a bit about that last week, so I'm not going to get into that. And we're kind of getting towards, closer towards the end of the series. We have probably one more or two more sessions on, on just simple foundations. So I went through these, and if you're newer to the church, or you haven't been watching it, again, I, I recommend get the podcasts. You know the podcasts are free, Facebook live, all the things are archived, and of course they're free. And it would do you good because the, the first foundation that absolutely changed my life is understanding how to pray. Just a simple thing. Learn how to pray. Because, again, religion taught me that you pray, but you almost pray like going to the casino, right? <laughs> Hope it hits. Thing, you know, low, okay, well, we didn't. It didn't work this time. We'll pray tomorrow. Maybe we'll, you know. And um, I learned that, no, you can pray the word. You can find the word, and you pray it, and you see the results. And it wasn't, it was like, wow, that wasn't, you know, all the wrong years of religion. And, you know, one of the things that religion does, that religion cops out a lot of things. In other words, when, when, and I'm talking religion as a spirit, not a religion. It's not necessarily a church. Every, everybody can come under the attack of religious spirit. Um, it doesn't matter. You could come to this church. We could get religion. Religion simply means that, to me, it's what man thinks about God. That's why we have so many religions out there. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what man thinks about God or what matters what, man think, what God thinks about you. And then you resolve that, and you get to that, and then you start to process it. So religion, one of the things it does is, you know, most people, if not all people, I don't say all people, but most people, don't walk into a church, don't walk into any church. You know, doesn't matter what brand of church you want to go to. Seeking God with, uh, usually with an alternate motive. You know, they just walk into church because they need help. How many walked in like that? Right? I came into church because I desperately needed help. Amen. You know, my life was a was a, was a wreck. But then if you're not careful, you come to church and you find simple things. You find things, things like I just said, you know, that if you pray according to God's will, he hears you. If he hears you, you can have it. That's pretty simple. But then people see that, and in the simplicity of it, they try it and say, oh, it didn't work, so let's make some ideas to justify the reason why God's not working in my life. And that's where religion comes from. because so now you have these ideas. And one of the characteristics of religion is, it will always have this thing on you that you're not doing enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're not going to church enough. You're not praying enough. You're not giving enough. You're not, no, 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 no. And it's like unattainable grace. You know, we're always working to acquire some form of grace when grace was free. That's how toxic religion is. You know, it'll confuse you. And there's a lot of people that are under the spell of that religious spirit, and they work very, very hard to please God through, through actions where the Bible says that you can't please God with actions. You know what pleases God? Guess what? Faith. Amen? Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, you cannot please God. So the next point that we talked about was faith, and we spent two weeks on that, and you know, the big, big thing I discovered, once I discovered that I, that I could pray the word, the thing that back, backed it up immediately was that faith works. And not just believing in God, but taking the tools and taking scriptures and applying them into circumstances that are, you know, contrary to, to life and sickness and disease and all these different things that we face in, in, in our own personal family, you know, tax upon our family, tax upon our marriage, tax upon our kids, tax upon our finances, and in every one of them, faith, if you work it, it works. Come on, guys, y'all need to say amen this morning. I know you look sleepy. I'm the one that should be sleepy. We had like this, Caden had his birthday this weekend, and it was, a, it was almost like boot camp. I'm like, are you kidding me? It, was, it started Friday at 10, and it didn't end until Saturday at 2, and he had... Slumber party where there was no slumber involved in the party. Wow. And then after that, we went to another birthday party yesterday afternoon. I was like, geez, those are these partying Christians, man. So I'm, I'm worn out. I told my wife this morning, there's such thing as a cruda espiritual, I have it. <laughs> or lack of sleep, I'm like, wow, you know, I hadn't felt that for 30-something years. You know, But um, let's get back on track here. just wanted to, so I, I, you guys look the way I feel, you guys are like, so, look alive. Look at your neighbor and say, look alive. Okay, so last week, I caught on the third thing that really actually revolutionized my life, which took me a long time. This was, you know, this didn't happen overnight. It didn't even happen the first year, the second year. But I saw the truth, and I think I talked a, lot of, a little bit about this last week. But, you know, when, when we found out that God could heal us, it seems like we kind of grabbed that, that truth because I saw it work in my wife, and you've heard this story many times, I'm not sure, right at the beginning of what I got saved. Now, she'd been a Christian, I wasn't, but she had a lot of religion in her. And she'd been suffering from, you know, certain sickness and disease. But when she got in the Word and worked it and healing came, it was kind of like, okay, God, you know, God wants us healed. And we went from being a really sick family, I mean, everybody was always sick, the kids were, were always running the kids to the ER, you know, most of you have gone through that. My wife was always sick. I was always sick. But when we got born again and grabbed on the truth that God could heal us, I'll be honest with you, you know, in 30 years, we've been a very, very, very healthy family. Um, you know, I've spent all of one day and a half in a hospital in the last 30 years, and that was on a, for a hernia procedure I had. And, you know, it just, we went from always running around to the doctors in the emergency to hardly ever, you know, and likewise with medicine. You know how much money you save when you don't take medicine? A lot. Amen, right? So we saw the healing aspect begin to manifest in our lives and in our kids' lives. They were, Of course, they were tiny. They were little. But we began to see how it worked. So it was like, hey, you know, God heals us. We, we got faith. We fed our faith in the area of healing. But where we really, really struggled for the next few years was in the area of prosperity. You know, I could see there was God's will for us to prosper. You know, I broke out of this mentality that you have to be poor to be humble. That's not in the Bible. Actually, poverty is a curse. Are you here? Now, this sermon's not about money. I'm just saying what we went through. Because the same word that promised me salvation was the same word that promises healing was the same word that promises prosperity. And I had gotten those, I had two out of three, you know? Sounds like that old rock and roll song, two out of three ain't bad, you know? Don't, don't go there. But anyway. And that would have been great if we just stayed there. But the fact is, the Bible also talked about prosperity. Talk to me, church. So, you know, we accepted the salvation, we accepted the healing, but it just seems like we couldn't grab a hold of this one thing, and for years, you know, we were doing the mechanics of it, and I've told this story, I I was preaching at um, Miriam's and Araceli's dad's church years and years and years ago, Um, he was the first guy that actually trusted me to preach. I had one green suit that would shine, it was so old, it was shiny, you know, Um, and I had one pair of dress shoes, and this, this sounds like a, something you joke about, but it's not a joke. They literally had sh- holes under them, because that was the only pair of shoes I had, you know? My mom had graciously bought me, when I you know, started getting, when I got on, um, well, started getting the ministry, she bought me, you know, some clothes to preach, if I could even afford that. And it just kind of wore it out, because that's all we had. And I remember clearly preaching in that little church on the principles of prosperity on a Sunday morning, and having our lights cut out on Monday. Are you here? Anybody been there? Because we were tithers, and I would tithe, and the tithe was, actually the tithe was about what the electric bill was, and all that day when our lights were cut out, the devil just beat me up He was like, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, why, you know, you shouldn't have given that money to the church, you should have paid your light bill. But no, I had seen truths. Are you still with me? This wasn't about religion, this was when it wasn't about that church, this was more about my personal approach to the things of God, and that's why I tell people about tithing. Tithing is a very personal thing, but it's a thing you should at least try to come to a conclusion to. Don't just reject it like, "Oh they want is my money. No, we don't want your money. <laughs> Amen? God doesn't want your money. God wants your obedience. And, and tithing is one of the biggest things that you can tell God that you trust him with. That's like one of the biggest things you can say because when you're not making it financially and you take 10% of your money out, well, that's how much more you're going to dig yourself in the hole. That's the thinking, the mindset. And, and right at the beginning of our tithing experience, it was kind of like that. I was like, wow, are you really sure about this? But I said, no, you know, this is something that, because this is my attitude. When I came to God, I figured this. If I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to be all in. When I was in the world, I was all in. I was, you know. Right, this is nothing to be proud of, but I, I could, you know, dare say most of you couldn't keep up with me. <laughs> we were pretty vicious. I mean, we were. We would go on for days. I mean, if I was in the world, we were in the world. It was, it was all the way in. Well, when I became born again, I had the same attitude. You know, if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to have to find out what a Christian does. Even though I grew up in Christianity, not, not all the truths that I grew up with I, you know, were, were actual Bible truths. They were religious truths. So as I dug into the Bible and began to find things, and I came to the terms that says God's will is for you to prosper. God's will is not for you to be broke. God's God's will is not for you to be struggling. Are you here this morning? In any area. Because prosperity is not about money. Prosperity is about wholeness. Prosperity includes your health, includes peace in your home, includes that your kids are being raised right. Are you here? You can have all the health and all the money in the world and have kids on drugs. You're not happy. Amen. Are you here? You know, you can have certain things in your life. And I, I know Jesse Duplantis <laughs> made a good, a good quote on this one. He said, you know, all that money does, it makes you comfortable while you're miserable. Hello. You know, money doesn't bring happiness. It brings comfort, but been, you can still be as miserable as you were when you're broke. So prosperity is not just about money. It's not, you know, it's a combination of God's influence into your life where your life becomes prosperous. And sometimes you don't even have to have a lot of money and be prosperous. Are you here? Think about it. Jesus we never saw him have a debit card. You know, he didn't tell the boys, hey, just go put on the card. <laughs> right? But he never had any lack. And he did have a treasure, which was stealing from him. Do, do you guys walk around with your treasure all day? I don't have a treasure. Amen? Some of the husbands here says, yeah, that's my wife. Well, yeah, that's, that's your y'all's problem. I don't know, I'm not going there. <laughs> But um, the ministry of Jesus, there was never any lack. He needed to feed 20,000 people. Miracles would happen, and the supply was there. Amen? So that's what I meant by, com- by commenting that you don't necessarily have to have money to be prosperous. You just have to have the faith and make sure you're doing your part. So prosperity, and the other thing that, that I've been very careful because, again, I'm just kind of recapping last week for everybody. One of the things... Growing up the way I grew up again, these aren't things that I'm necessarily proud of. It's just the, the, the path that I chose, which was wrong. At the age of 16, you know, I basically went on my own, and um, in Central Mexico. And I'm not going to take you through all the story. But one thing that you learn living that kind of lifestyle is you don't learn to trust hardly anybody. You don't even trust yourself, and you can read cons like. It's just something it comes with the calling. You know, what am I talking about? You look at somebody, you're like, oh, that's, that guy's a crook. That guy's a con. And when I came into Christianity, it seems like I could see some real preachers and I could see the cons. I'm going to call them out. I don't care what anybody thinks, you know. Some people say, well, you shouldn't be doing it. Why not? If some guy stands up and tells you, give me $100 and I will give you five wishes, that's witchcraft. That's nonsense. And as, as your pastor, it's my job to call that out. Or some guy gets on TV, send me $1,000 and God will. Okay, so now we don't have any personal responsibility. We can just throw money at it and God will bless us. Oh, that's pretty easy. If that's the case, what are we doing here this morning? They're just throw money at it and we'll be fine, right? No, that is, that is absolute... Not, that's not only con, that's wicked. Because a con, I mean, you know, you'll rip somebody off, and that's, you know, that's on you for being stupid. But when you prey off people's needs and sickness and calamities, and there's people that are struggling because they have a, son, a daughter or a, or, or a son that's on a, completely addicted in a very destructive lifestyle... And some preacher gets up here and says, You know, if you give me $1,000, God will take care of that kid. You're praying off that person's crisis. That is, I don't know, man, I mean, that's between you and God, but that's pretty dangerous to me. Are you here? And, and, and as, as you grow up in these things, I could see that immediately. When I came in, I could read the cons. You know, at first, I was like, oh, All these Christians are wonderful, Christianity. And then I found out that not all Christians are nice, like me. <laughs> or like you, because they're all the nice Christians. All the nice Christians are in this church this morning. There were some backstabbing, mean, rattlesnake-type Christians out there, you know? And the other ones were the ones, the preachers that would get up there and try to get your money and for the wrong purposes and using manipulative schemes and scams and playing off people's emotions. And I never fell for that. And I promised myself. And I thank God. I told Monica this week, you know, I thank God so much. Sometimes I wish I could be a full-time pastor, which I am full-time, you know what I mean, but I'm talking where this is all I did. But then I thank God that God has bless me with my business and I can make my own money because I never have to be in a position to preach something soft in case the top giver leaves the church. You should be thankful for that. Because there are some pastors that are under such a financial strain that they got to be careful what they say because that adulterer, you know, top giver of his church, you don't want to touch that because he might leave and he takes all his money. Uh Uh-huh. So I do thank God that you know, I might be a little different than a lot of pastors because my circumstances, I'm free to preach whatever the Word says. And if all of, for every one of you got up and left and came back next Sunday, you know how much that would affect me financially? Hey Amen. Not a whole lot. But that's, you know, the key is the, the Word of God. What I'm trying to say is the Word of God is pure. It's holy. And it's for your benefit. And when you see these kind of people... Just turn, you know, don't, don't even judge them. Just turn the, you know, you can turn it off. Or you can be like, or just get offended, right? We can cancel them. I mean, they did cancel Mr. Potato Head. I'm really bummed out about that one. But not as much as the Muppets, so I love the Muppets. And Dr. Seuss? Oh, don't even go there. But um, purpose is the way you keep your prosperity doctrine in the right place. Because everything God does, he does it for a reason. God doesn't just do things out of randomly just, you know, hey, look what I can do. There's a purpose in everything he does. And when you take those two Ps, I call them the two Ps, if you just, if every time you talk about prosperity, you make sure you you include the reason of the whys, you'll be fine. Because it's right at the get-go, right at the beginning of our covenant. I will bless you. That's prosperity, right? Watch purpose. So you can be a blessing. So right in the beginning of the foundation of what about one of the foundations of this church is is talking about the blessing. It's it's talking about covenant. And that is something I'm very, very big on. and, and And I understand and I try to be a covenant, even a covenant person in my relationships. But here's my point. You see prosperity and you see the and you see purpose right at the foundation of the covenant, which the covenant was I will bless you so you can be a blessing. So right there, you see the whole, I mean, that's like the whole message. So last week, we covered a lot of these things. Now, I told you last week, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of, you know, see if we have time. I, I have a little, I'm not as rushed now because our Laredo service was moved up an hour, praise God. So I don't have to like run out of here like I always do. But um, so now our Laredo service starts at two now instead of one. It was, really, it was hard getting, not hard getting there, but I had to leave here and just beeline over there. And usually the service was already started and so forth. So. So I have more time to, you know, take my time. Again, we're not going to stay here until 3 o'clock. But I do want you guys to get a truth. You know, search a truth that means something to you. Don't just come here and listen to a preacher. You know, get the attitude. What's the word for me? What do I need to hear? And if you have that attitude, guess what? The Holy Spirit will speak to you. You'll, sometimes if the pastor goes on these rabbit trails, they're not, they're not always rabbit trails. Sometimes God's dealing with somebody. You know how many services I've finished in 30 years where somebody goes and a Pastor everything you said was for me, and I'm like, no, everything you said, I said was for me, you know, and somebody else said, no, he said it for me, because, you know, the Holy Spirit wants everybody to get a word this morning, so what we're going to learn today, and I think it's going to help you a lot, is what is your calling, what is your purpose in life, because that is the, the great, 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 great philosophical question for thousands of years that all the great philosophers have tried to figure out is, why am I here, has anybody asked that, In some form or fashion in your life? Yes. Even since you're a little kid, you're asking some form or fashion, why am I here? Well, let me ask you a question. Let me start with a question. What do you call a person that, let me put it this way, what do you call a person that doesn't know where they're going? You know, you know that person, you got that in your family. It's usually the the guys. Before GPS. Remember before GPS? And your wife would say something like, honey, I think you're lost. No, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm going. Anybody? Come on, ladies, help me. Amen. What do you call that person that is supposed to go somewhere and can't get there? What do you call them? Thank you. This is so deep, right? Lost, exactly. You're lost. Well, guess what? You know how many Christians are lost? Because unless you understand purpose, you're lost. You know, you can live your life, you can, you know, go to school, go to bed, wake up in the mornings, but there's really no purpose other than that. And a life without purpose is one of the saddest lives there is because, you know, what do you do when you don't know where you're going? Or they put us, where are you going when you don't know where you're going. I'll tell you where. The other answer is you're going nowhere. And people will spend their whole life living that way. And I don't know. I guess this is something for the, you know, older, older people. No, we're not have a lot of older people. I, you know, I will be 55 next week, you know. Yeah, praise God. Thank you for that. Woo! But the older they get, the more you think about legacy. What is your legacy? What are you leaving behind? You know, we, we did a funeral a couple days ago, and it was good to hear, I didn't know the gentleman, but it was good to hear he was a man of God, It was a blessing. That's legacy, right? We're doing a funeral tomorrow for a very dear lady from our church, and I just, she reminded she me so much of my mom in so many ways, bit Angie's mom... Decided to move to heaven, so she's in heaven today. So we're doing a funeral tomorrow. But guess what? Those people left a legacy. You know? You know, uh, it's something that people will remember by. And I think, I don't think purpose in life is just to leave a legacy, but you've got to do think about that sometimes, you know? What are you leaving behind? You know, when you go, or is, or, what's your funeral going to be like? Woo, I'm glad he's gone. Jesus. The problemas, right? I mean... No, you know, hopefully people will come up and say, you know, they blessed me, they spoke into my life, they were there for me, you know, they made a difference. That's legacy. And that's not the reason we seek purpose, but I think believers should have that thing in their spirit, thinking, what am I leaving behind, you know, or what is my track in life? Because, you know, is, was there a positive influence because I was here? So anyway, I'll just leave that one out there. So let's, let's go, let's pursue this this morning, let's see how far we can get. So we closed last week with these five questions, and I want you to you know, take a screenshot or think about them, but you should be thinking about them. We're not, these are very um, vague questions because it, it's very different for, probably every answer would be different for every people. But you have to start with certain foundations. If you want to find out why you're here, if you want if to find out why God created you, why are you living and breathing in this season, Is because you have to ask some of these questions. And number one is, what is the center of my life? And, you know, I know the, the Christians, we will just automatically say, oh, Jesus is the center. Yeah, come on. That, 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 is, that is such a... <laughs> because, you know, it sounds right, but if, I, if, you know, if we were hanging out with you all every day of your life this week, well, you know, if I was hanging out, it would probably be, you'd probably be faking the whole thing. <laughs> Let me help you. If you were hanging out with me, I'd probably be faking the whole thing too, you know. But, you know, what is the center of your life? Yeah, of course, you know, the answer should be Jesus. But is he? Yeah. Is he exactly the center? I mean, he's, you know, like, everything revolves around him. Most of the time, let's just be honest, no. The answer is no. Yes, we love Jesus. Yes, we wake up in the morning. We worship. We pray for him. But, you know, it's very easy for other things to gravitate to the center of your life. Right? Just have a bad day. Find out how quick Jesus is not the center of your life. He's over there on the sideline waiting for you to go through your little fit. That's the truth. What is the character of my life? Because if Jesus is the center of your life, or at least is in the orbit of your life, your character should have been modified. Hello. Christianity is about character modification. Not personality modification. That's a little different. Character. In other words, we used to steal. We don't steal no more. We used to lie. We don't lie no more. Amen? We used to do evil things. We don't do evil things anymore. We used to hold grudges. We forgive now. So your character has to be modified. And if, and if you're a newer Christian, God bless you, I have way, way more patience for you, and I'll be here with you as long as you need to. Where, I, where, I, where my patience is reduced and pray for me is when I, when I hang around with Christians that have been doing this for a long, long, long time. And there is no character modification. In other words, they're still struggling with all the stuff they were struggling in the world. So is Christianity just a good idea? Is it just something you do on Sundays? Or is it something that has become so serious in your life that you say... God, and that's what I'm thinking about my experience. When I came into God, I wasn't planning to be a pastor. Are you kidding me? I was just trying to survive, you know? We, we were so broke, and I was, our life, everything in our life was broken. Our relationship was broken. Everything, I didn't have no job. But I came to God, and I realized, hey, guess what? You can't cuss anymore. Don't raise your hand, but even Christians cuss sometimes, right? But Christians were really cool because we make our own cussing words. I'm not even going to go down that path. You know, like we say things like freaking, but it still starts with an F. Not that that's bad, but you know what I'm saying. You're you're Christian now, so you don't say the other F one, so you just change it a little bit. Instead of the other one, you say shoot. Stop, Pastor Box. You know what I'm talking about. You're cussing on the inside, and you know it. You really want to let the big one go because it feels so good when you do that. Because like, when you hit yourself with a hammer, right, Freddie? I mean, Jesus doesn't fix it. you got to say like a big one. You went, oh, Jesus, hallelujah, glory to God. Yeah, right. You say every other word, but not that one. Yeah, okay. So it is about character modification. Can I hear an amen? amen. And the Holy Spirit loves us, but he's always working that. He's always tweaking that. He's not beating you up. If you miss it, he doesn't, he doesn't send you to hell if you tell a lie. But, he, but, he'll, but, you know, life before Jesus, we didn't even think about lies. Hopefully, as a Christian, at least you will think about them now, right? Because somewhere in this book it said, thou shalt not lie. So the, the word of God does have this aspect that it has to modify your character. Well, once your character is modified, guess what happens? The next one is, what's the contribution in my life? There's only two classes of people in this planet, givers and takers. Who are you? Because I was a taker before Jesus. I would rip you off. You would even thank me for it when I was done with you. Because I was, was, you know, we were conning people. You had to survive. I mean, are you kidding me? A teenager on his own in Mexico? Don't even look. You guys have it so good up here. That's a whole different planet. So what is the contribution? Well, when you get a believer, you find out that even though my wife and I still had tremendous amounts of need in our life, financial, emotional, physical. We decided to be givers. The decision to be a giver does have nothing, has nothing to do with if you have money. Generosity has nothing to do with, about, with money. It's, some, it's, a, it's a character thing that is modified, and now you're bringing a contribution to your life. This is not about you anymore. Amen? Amen. And the next question is, what is the communication? I know they're kind of related, you know, I get it. But as a contributor, now you're communicating something else where the life before Jesus, it was very easy for people. Because let me tell you, you want to know what you're communicating, don't ask yourself. Ask somebody else. They'll tell you exactly. You know, we should have friends in our life that will tell us exactly what we need to hear and not just what we want to hear. Right? You should have a few people that you trust enough to, tell, to call you out when you're missing it, that love you enough, not to criticize you, not to judge you, just say, hey, you need to change your attitude. Amen? So the communication is, what are you communicating? And, and here's another thing. We communicate a lot of things without ever saying any words. Our actions. You know, we, we, we say a lot of things without saying any words. And the other one is, you know, what is, again, all of these are related. They're not separate, you know, individual But what is the community of my life? Now that you've modified, you know, the center, the character, the contribution, the communication, guess what's going to happen in community? All the people around you, who are you surrounded with? Amen? And those people that are around you, are they being blessed because you are around them? And the other side, are you blessed because they are around you? So it does come about community. And one of the things that this church, you know, COVID has been a really strange season for all of us, but um, we're still working on it, and we want to have more. You know, even as a church, we want to be a community church. We don't want to just be a little four walls in us, you know. We want to, you know, people don't like us, that's fine, but we want to make a difference in Heavenville. And we have to find those ideas. That's why we need everyone on board, because, you know, I, first of all, I don't live in this town. You do. But more people on board, more, more people that are on the teams, more people that are things. We find how can we make this community better through small groups, through giving, through, you know, all kinds of different ideas. So those are the, 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 the first questions that will begin to form what is your purpose in life? What is your purpose? So everyone has this purpose. Every, every Christian's calling. You're not going to get away from this one. This is everybody. When you say, Jesus come coming my life, you get this one by default. All right? And Jesus, I'm not going to read everything he said in Mark 16, but he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, the the number one thing is gospel. What is gospel? Gospel is good news. So, you know, you're you're not going to preach Jesus by saying, if you don't come to Jesus, you're going to hell. That is not good news. That might be the truth, but that's not necessarily good news. Amen? No, the gospel is positive. The gospel is, yeah, it's about avoiding hell. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm the first one to tell you the church doesn't preach enough about going to hell. Nowadays, it's all, a lot of this stuff you see on TV, it's, it's like, you know, motivational speaking. It's not a lot of word you know, and, you know, to each his own. I'm not going to judge or criticize that. But I'm saying it's not just about preaching hell, brimstone, and fire. It's about showing people the good news. Because, you know, once you accept Jesus, yes, you miss hell, but you have a lot more information you need to live in this life. Because this life is all messed up. Are you all still here this morning? So you need answers when a pandemic hits. You need answers when somebody's kids is on drugs. You know, I don't know what you all think about what a pastor's job is, because I've heard people say, oh, pastor job is the easiest thing. The easiest thing I do on Sunday is this. This is it. This is the greatest moment of, of my ministerial experience because from here to next Sunday, I will get tons of phone calls of tons of people that need tons of advice. That never stops. I got a phone call last night, late. You know? And that's what we do. And you know, we don't we don't reject that. I'm just saying. The work of the ministry is to constantly being delivered, you know, because if you've ever called us, if you've ever looked for us, for Monique or myself or one of our leaders, well, imagine that multiplied by a few hundred people. And that's okay. That's what we are. We are called to do this. But I'm telling you, we are called to preach the gospel not just by saying, not just by being behind a pulpit every Sunday. We're called to preach the gospel every day of our lives. I used to, come on, guys, react. This is a calling on everybody's life. This is not a suggestion. This is not like Jesus said, well, if you want to... He said, you are supposed to go into all the world. He said, well, Pastor, I want to go into all the world with you. I want to go to missions, okay? I'll take you on a missions trip, but let's start with your neighborhood. Because that's, that's the model in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, he doesn't say go preach to all the world. He says start in Jerusalem, Samaria. He goes, you know, it's, it's like dropping a, a, a rock in a pond. That little circle goes like this, and it goes like this, and it goes like that. And then at the end of that reading in Acts chapter 1, he says and to the utmost sins of the world. So you got to start with your family. you got to start with your community. you got to start with your inner circle and your outer circle. you got to start with your co-workers. But everybody in your life should know that you have something good. So very, you know, because I know that. So what is my purpose in life? Before we go anywhere else, you got to start with this. If you start with this, then your specific purpose will begin to manifest. Now, there are specific things. Because God created you unique. He gave you gifts. And let me help you. I'm going to set somebody free this morning. I'm kind of ahead of my message. You shouldn't try to, you know, imitate anybody. Amen. You're you. And God gave you something that somebody else needs. So, but it does not go there because a lot of people say, well, I want to know my calling. I want to know my calling. Yes. Start there. One of the greatest examples that I've had in my life, and I thank God for her, was my mother. She wasn't a a minister. She was a professor, a university professor. One of her side jobs was that she would take these groups of American kids. Her whole life she did this, in the summer and and spring breaks and all that. And they would bring them into Mexico, and they'd take them all over the country and take them to the pyramids, and they would bring them from different high schools, primarily up north from Michigan, Wisconsin. And she was was a coordinator in Mexico. Where I'm going with this is that my mom traveled a lot, and sometimes I would travel with her when I was small, but everywhere my mother went, she got everybody born again. I mean, she'd get the bus driver born again. Because we'd be on these endless hours on a bus in Mexico, in central Mexico, and of course she was a coordinator, so she'd sit right behind the driver, and I would sit next to my mom, being small, and that driver was doomed. He's going to heaven before this road trip's over. I mean, there's no way. Because my mom would just sit there and just chat with him and chat with him and chat with him and just, just talk about life. But you know what? She would always find that door. She wouldn't go there and say, do you know Jesus? No, she would say, oh, how are you doing? sir? She always treated everybody so fair. I mean, she was, you know, she was the kind of lady that she would treat the lady at the market with the same love and same compassion that she would treat some CEO with a lot of money. She had, you know, and I thank God because a lot of my forming came from her. But she would get everybody, and everybody that, you know, was around my mom for more than 10 or 15 minutes would hear the gospel. That's how she was. There were many times, and I, I say many because, you know, they, live, they, they moved back to Mexico City, and I stayed in, in Puebla, you know, when I was 16, and supposed suppose I was going to go to school and all that, but, but there was many times that I would be visiting with them in Mexico, and my mom was out on a trip, and I'd be there with my dad, and she was coming back that day, and she would, you know, my dad hadn't seen her for a week or whatever, and, and they lived on the eighth floor of this, of this building, and we'd be sitting, and she'd come in, you know, with her bags, and she'd rush in, and she'd, she'd like greet everybody really fast. And my, everybody's like, oh, we want a hug. It's like, hang on, hang on. And she would run into her office, and she would get a little Bible, because she had a box of Bibles that she bought with her own money. And she would run down, and says, where are you going? Oh, it's guys, I got the taxi driver saved. I told him I was going to give him a Bible. Hang on. That was normal. Right? After I became a Christian, she took us to, we took some friends of ours, um, Bear Morgan and his wife, he's in heaven now to the pyramids near Mexico City, which are the you know, Pyramid of the Sun and all these, um, these pyramids. And um, even in that, you know, that was supposed to be a trip, a sightseeing trip. Before it was over, we were praying for people. Remember, we, remember, Monica, I went to the house of that lady who had AIDS. Back then, AIDS, which just th- you know wasn't what it is now. I mean, people didn't really understand it. And um, she said, I need you to go come here. And she would take us to, the, to these places. And I'm like, how do you mean? Well, you know, the guy that does the demonstration of the magay plant. Because it's like this demonstration. Well, he had got her him born again like years ago, and this lady was really, I mean, it was everything about her was like that. All the time. Guess what? She wasn't a minister. She wasn't a pastor. She was just a regular person, just like us. You know, she, she didn't have ministerial credentials, but she had that. And, you know, and that is something that it's, it was such, so, and it was easy for her. Now, to me, it's not that easy. For her, it was like, it just would flow out of her. But here's the thing, all of us are called to do that in all kinds of circumstances. And don't don't be overly concerned because I know as a Christian you come to a message like this and you'll say, well, I'm supposed to go tell somebody about Jesus and then you get all nervous, you don't know how to start. No, that's not like that. You just have conversations. Just have conversations about the weather, about whatever, and the Holy Spirit will navigate that conversation. And you'll be talking to some random person in line at HEB and before you, you know, before you know it, you're in the parking lot, and they're opening their whole life tragedy, and now that's your opportunity to invite them to meet Jesus. That's how this works, amen? So number one is that. So before we can talk about any other purpose, you have to get a hold of that. Now, I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures that, again, this is, I'm using this series to teach a little bit about what we went through. So the next scriptures, this is really what began to form our calling. When I speak our, of course, my wife and I, it's the same calling. And even when I read these scriptures, I didn't understand them, but I knew they had jumped up out of the scriptures at me. I'm talking way back in 1992, 1993. These scriptures, I mean, I'd re- I didn't really understand them of how deep that impact of these scriptures would be, but I knew that when I saw them, I said, that's who we are. And the, the first one I was going well, to there, there was Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Again, these are the things that the Lord spoke to us. But guess what? This church is built some around this. Because if this church was built around what God called us to do, then the foundations of Faithway are these. So when you wonder, why are you guys in Cuba? and Why are you running around over there with the Navajos? And what are you doing this this? Well, this is the foundation. And number one was speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That was a foundation in our life. Well, the very first thing I ever did in ministry, um, and I wasn't, you know, I was studying, I was doing my correspondence, I was going to say online, there was no such thing as online back then, correspondence, Bible study, you know, Bible school, and the first thing, I had a, a desire, and it was, it just birthed in me, they had the church we were going to had a pretty good jail ministry, you know, prison ministry, and it just burned, burned in me to say, I need to get on that team. And I wasn't there to preach. I was just there to to support, to carry the boxes of Bibles up the stairs and all that. But that was just something that was like, you know, of all the places I could have started in ministry, I had a desire. It wasn't forced. It was a burning desire. Jeremiah says, there's a fire that burns in your bones that you cannot quench it. God will put something in you, and God will bother you with it in a good way. And it will never leave you alone. Well, we started prison ministry. Well, why? Because, guess what? There's some people there that can't speak for themselves. Yes, they made mistakes, but guess what? They got born again. God forgave them. And there were just, we're, we're working with a guy. I just talked to him this morning. That he, He's going to Halfway House in Laredo, and we're helping him. And he's, you know, that, that 30 years later, that desire is still in there to help people. And our, our church, you know, had a great, great prison ministry. Now, we don't have it right now because the people... The, Person that was leading it left the church and and John Turner was also involved. well he's you know driving a truck now, but that is something we want to rebirth in this church. you know God maybe'll call some of you to prison ministry. We're going to hear the Jim Hogg County jail and we're going over to San Diego to the unit up there, and on a weekly basis we're having Bible studies there and helping people and praying for people so so that desire did not just happen. God gave me a word first. well, pretty soon you find out that our whole ministry began to kind of format under this thing. Let me give you the other scripture and then I'll finish the story. The other one was Isaiah 117, which was basically the same thing. It says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. You know what the Bible says about widows and orphans? He says that's a true religion, those that help those people. That's the only time in the New Testament you find the word religion. He says the true religion Is those that help the widows and the orphans in their time of need and keep themselves holy in this world. That's what the scripture says. When you want to talk about religion, it was that. So the other one was kind of like these two two ideas that, and then I realized, and I'm just going to fast forward all these years because I'm not going to walk you through all this. This is not the, the, the purpose of this talk. But I can tell you right now, in almost 30 years, next year will be 30 years since I gave my life to God, but you can say 28 years of active ministry, that's a long time, I've preached, and I don't like to use the word white because it's not really white, I'm just going to say American churches. In in almost 30 years of ministry, I've preached in a total of three American churches. Three. One of them was my pastor O'Dell's church in San Antonio, Pastor Dan's church up in New York, and there was another church that I got invited once, I didn't get invited back, so I'm not sure what that was about. Up there north of Austin, we preached at a church there. My point is, why am I not on a circuit of preaching through all American churches? I got one for you, because God didn't call me to do that. You know, because, I mean, that's a pretty good gig. You could just preach in American churches, you can make some money, right? But God didn't call me to do that. He called me to go to places that nobody has any money. And I guess that's one of the reasons that God set me up to prosper, because, you know, you don't pick up offerings in prison. They don't give you help you for the gas. <laughs> Amen? So now, we're, you know, we're walking in, in these two foundations for, for our life. Well, guess what happens? The whole ministry and our calling begins to shift. It wasn't on purpose. We didn't sit out and write it out. But then there was, like, this need and this opportunity to put food into Mexico, H was part of I remember that. We'd run up there to Dallas and pick up trailer loads of food. But now they were like, what were you thinking, right? <laughs> but that was it. That was the call. And we were doing all kinds of flips and backflips to get food into Mexico. And some of the poorest barrios in Nuevo Laredo, we'd take like hundreds and hundreds of dollars of, of I'm talking cases of food, not just the little bag groceries. We were talking trailer loads of food. And we were doing that, and we're taking food into the darkest corners of Monterrey, right in the middle of the red light district. The cops didn't even go there. We'd go to some of the darkest corners, and we would hand out food. And there was a little church there, and the church was next to the homes of the prostitutes and the drug addicts, and it was a horrible place. I'd take my kids, they were tiny. You know what, we never had an issue there, ever. To the contrary, people would show us. We'd drive in there almost in a brand new expedition to one of the worst places in the city of Monterrey, Nobody ever did, you know why they were, because we were there, first of all, we were called to do it, and we were there to be a blessing, and the same people that were pretty bad guys, they were the same ones that were helping us unload the food and asking for prayer, we'd pray for some people that were so nasty and dirty, they hadn't bathed in probably months, and we'd hug them and cry with them, and I got pictures of, you know, and it was, and it was, some of you like, I could never do that, probably not, because if you're not called, you can't do that. See, La Coyotera, Monica's remember? you went there, H, right? went to La Coyotera, RJ went to La Coyotera. And I brought them back. See, they survived. So he he can verify what we're talking about. It was pretty dark corners of this planet, right, H? Well, then guess what happens in 2012? Cuba comes into the map. Well, before that, we were in Ukraine. Well, we're still in Ukraine. I I miss Ukraine so much. There's not one day in my life I don't think about Ukraine or about Cuba. Why? Because it's, it's in my calling. Are you tracking with me? Now, I don't expect everybody to be excited about Ukraine because maybe God didn't call you to go to Ukraine. But I'm saying these callings, you know, the Bible says they're irrevocable. In other words, God will put a calling on you regardless if you do anything with it or not. But guess what? When you get to heaven, he's going to ask you what you did with it. I mean, there's enough parables to justify that point, right? Remember all the ones about the talents? When you get, every one of you, when you get to heaven, God's going to say, what did you, what did you do with what I gave you? Well, oh, Nothing. I buried it. You know, the Bible says, New Testament, that Jesus is going to ask you a question, or he's going to make a statement, not a question. And I want, the only thing I want to hear when you get to heaven is, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. I don't want to get to heaven and I just hear, well? And nothing else after the Well? You don't want to be that guy, right? Well, what would you do with your life? Oh, nothing. I went to church. Oh, yeah, sounds, you're amazing. I went to church when it was raining and it was really cold, Lord. Okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're really a martyr for Jesus, right? No, you know, you have to find what God called you to do. So, that, so again, everything's going to base off the gospel. Don't you ever think it's going to be something else? Because I've heard people say, well, I'm just called to the music ministry. You're not called to the music ministry. You might have a gift and a calling to be a musician. You're called to preach the gospel. And what these guys are doing up here, they're preaching the gospel. Hopefully, they're making you connect to Jesus. That's their job. First and foremost over musicianship is, can you lead people to the presence of God? Are you still here? Amen. All right. So anyway, I'm just showing you those, because those are two foundations that God put in our life way, 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 way back, and that's been the foundation of our ministry. Well, guess what happens when you actually have a church? The church has its foundation. And we've been criticized by people that left the church, because, you know, and again, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind people leaving the church, because not everybody's called to this church. How do you know you're called to this church? Well, you're going to have to have some of these same passions burning in you. Not Maybe not the same ones but you can't, you're going to have to, you know, because these are the foundations of who Faithway is. We are called to preach the gospel, you know, to all nations, but God specifically called us to oppress nations. Because, again, 99.9% of our ministry has been directed to third world nations. And if you don't believe that the Navajo Nation is a third world nation, I challenge you to go to the reservation. If you've never been, I'm not going go sightseeing and go buy little trinkets on the side of the road. No, go and sit, and go and eat, and go and talk, and go and hug, and go and pray with the Native American people. And you're going to find out what's up. Well, God, you know, I love, that's one of the biggest things. They're our family, I have, you know, they're watching us today on Facebook. We've got people from Navajo Reservation that are partners with this ministry. We love the Navajo people. We're part of the Navajo people. We've been abdo- I've been adopted by them. You know, but again, when you go to Navajo Reservation, you're not going over there to see if you can get some offering money. Are you here? You go to Ukraine, you're going to spend way, 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 way more money than you're ever going to bring back. So, so something's going to have to, you know, somebody's going to have to pay for this. Well, I'll tell you who's going to pay for it. God's going to pay for it. Because God will, will meet your needs when you are in his purpose. All right? I'll, I'll give you scripture for that in a moment. So let's keep moving. Now, let's go, now, let's go into that one now. Romans 8, 28, and Romans, I was going to preach something else here in Romans 8, verse 1. We might still go there, but let me just go to where this is going. Because this is, this is really good. Listen to verse 28, first and foremost, because what happens, you've got to understand verse 28, and then 29 and 30 will flow pretty easily into that idea. He says, we know that all things work together for good to them, that love God. Okay, number one, you got to love God. In other words, he's got to have a place of devotion in your life, not just going to church. Going to church doesn't mean you love God. Loving God means when you wake up in the morning, you pray, you talk, you pray with your family. I mean, that he, he is part of your family. You know what I mean? He is part of the conversation at the kitchen table. And then he says, but it's not just anybody who loves God. He says, to them that are called, everybody say called? according to his purpose. So now there's something else coming into play. So this is not about you. Look at your neighbor and say, hate to break the news. Go ahead and say that. But this is not about you today. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> growing up, I grew up in, a, in the Baptist church. And, and I love my Baptist heritage. Don't misunderstand me. You know, Are you Baptist today? No, not really, because I believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit, and Baptists don't necessarily subscribe to that. But, you know, we would hear this scripture completely out of context. And one of the ways we would hear it, it was, it was kind of sad because it was like, well, you know, I, I'm just joking now. i am not necessarily heard this one, but it, it came in that context. You know, well, you know, Sister So-and-So, she flipped her car and broke her leg, and it was like, well, you know, all things happen to good for the calling of purpose. It was like they would use this scripture every time there was a tragedy. Anybody heard it that way? Like, oh, well, you know, that, you know, you broke your leg, I guess, you know, everything's called for a purpose, and that's not what it is. There was a comedian who's been out there years and years ago, and, and I thought this was so funny, he, he made a, a joke on, on how people use bless his heart, you know, bless her heart. We don't use that down here in South Texas that much, but, you know, like if somebody, you know, Jimmy broke his arm, oh, bless his heart. So bless his heart was more a substitute for like, you're an idiot, Right? You know, they repo Jimmy's car. (laughs) Bless his heart. You know, you almost say like mockingly. Well, that was kind of like this scripture, you know, they they would use the scripture to say, all things work together for good, like something bad happened, and there's some kind of good in there. Well, there's nothing good about breaking your leg. But that's the way it was taught, and it would always bother me because I'm thinking, how could that be good? It doesn't even say that, but people take that's what religion does to you. It takes things completely out of context. Now, let's pay attention to what it actually says, because I I added the two scriptures to give you a little more context. Now, the whole Romans 8, that's one of the most powerful chapters in the whole Bible. I'm trying to say, that is a, you could spend months teaching just on Romans 8. I mean, literally, you could just take Romans 8 and do a series, it would take you six months. And you wouldn't even scratch all of it through. Because it talks about life in the spirit, that's what it's talking about. But listen to it now. So it says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, I know this is old English, but it simply means for those that he already knows. In other words, he didn't just meet them, he already knows them. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now let's let's break this one down a little bit. What is he saying here? He says, well, there's the, the believers, God has predestinated every one of you. Now, this is not a message on predestination, you know, where it says, well, your life is mapped out, and doesn't matter what you do, that's the way it's going to be. No, I don't believe that nonsense. I mean, some people really believe that. I don't believe that. That's not what predestination means. Predestination simply means God has set a destiny for you previously. Amen? Again, back to my analogies of when you're lost. You know, a GPS, when you set a GPS, if you actually take the time to put the address in the GPS or on your maps on your iPhone, that, what, are, what are you doing? You're pre-destination. I know that's bad English, but you know, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're setting a destination, you're setting a course for your car, even though you're not there yet. Right? How many of you use a GPS? Right? The rest of you are just lost all the time. Okay. That's all right. You, the rest of you are the ones that I was talking about previously.
1: I don't need this. I know where I'm
0: going. Uh huh. <laughs> well, down here, you can't get lost out of Texas. I mean, Heronville has two lights. Are you kidding me? But, um, you know, you go to San Antonio or big city or New York or somewhere, you, you know, they come in handy. But that's all it means. So God has set a predestination according to his will. So his will, you know, his global will is he wants you blessed. So whatever predestination God has set in your life, it, you know, you should be starting to track down it because it's to your benefit. It will lead you to a good life. It will lead you to prosperity. It will lead you to peace in your home. Some things might be uncomfortable, some things you might not completely agree with, but if you can just trust God on this one, you're going to be all right. But this is what it says. It says, those that he predestinated, what, did, what was the predestination that he set? Let's keep breaking it down. It's not about going somewhere yet. He says, He predestinated you for you to take the form of his son. That's the predestination. Read it. He says, everything works according, everything goes good if you are in God's purpose. That's the first verse, verse 28. Things work together for good to them that love God, okay? To them that are called according to his purpose. Okay, got that. Not my will, your will be done, Lord. But the next one is the desire that he knew And he would predestine, he would give you a a destination that would be, I want you to be like Jesus. Well, guess what comes with that? All the tools that you need. God will never send a soldier into battle and the soldier's got to buy his own stuff. That's not God. Whatever God called you to do, and you see, those are the things that that I finally resolved. When I finally resolved some of these things, I'm thinking probably late 90s. It took a while, trust me. Early 2000s, we, I finally realized that it wasn't on me. I was always stressed out about money. Ask We went through seasons here where it was down to the wire. Sometimes the wire was not even there anymore, right? <laughs> it was down into the red. <laughs> but then I finally realized, you know, God, we, we came up. I'm thinking this was probably, in, we were just. I guess we had just moved into this building. Well, you know what happens when you move into a real nice building like this and you're used to using that little building where you only had one AC unit and now you have three? Well, four, yeah, because that one was running too. That was before the youth center and children's church. Well, our light bill went from something like 150 to like 350 or 400 and we didn't have the money because we had a nice building but we were still broke. Well, not broke, but just if you, get, you, you know what I'm talking about? It's like if you... You're used to your payments, right? And then something happens where your payments triple. You're not ready for that. Well, there were times there where I was just like, man, they're going to cut the lights out. And I think maybe we finally got cut once or twice, somewhere in that mix. I don't know. It seems like. But I finally realized, you know, I had this aha moment when I said, you know what? It's not my responsibility to pay the light. And I just, I I rested in that. I'm like, you know what? They cut the lights out. We're buying candles, guys. Everybody bring your little fan. Well, most ladies already have them. I'm just talking about everybody else, right? I said, Lord, if there's no light, this is your house. I don't care. I really, it was like that. You know what? God likes that attitude. And if, you, if you're, if the way you, if your attitude's right. I wasn't mad at God. I'm saying, I just realized I'm not supposed to pay for any of it. You know what happened after that? Well, you never liked it. Ever. Our lights have never gotten cut off since that time. You know, because sometimes they've gotten close. Sometimes, you know, you know how you guys do, you guys use it 10 days like normal, right? You get the bill like, no, I mean, it's not due till 10 days. No, it was due 10 days ago. <laughs> ah, Rasa, I know y'all, I know y'all. <laughs> you don't pay your card till 30 days after the due date because you've got 30 days, you know. No, it never. we never liked it because the, the realization that God called you to form the image of Christ. Pay attention to this because I'm going back to what I, one of my first statements. Answer this question. There is an answer to it. I want to say when. When was there lack in the life of Jesus? There, there is a time there's lack. But You've got to decide when it happened. It happened on the cross. Well, it starts in Gethsemane. When he gives himself over to the Roman soldiers, you can hit the clock. You can hit, some people say, where are the three days and three nights? Right there. That's right there. That's, that's where the three nights start. It doesn't start three, there's no way you're going to get three nights out of Friday to Sunday. Are you kidding me? Some people say, well, he was in the grave three nights. How? He goes crucified on Friday and he resurrected on Sunday. Where are your three nights? Come on, church. Let the elevator go to the top, right? The three nights start the moment that he gives himself to man. That's what it says. Now, lack has, now the lack has come. And you know what his lack is? Because he took your lack. He took your sin. He took your sickness. He took your poverty. He took up your messed up deal. He took up all your issues. He took them, and now there's lack in his life because he took all of the lack of humanity. Can I hear an amen? Now at the cross, from the, from the Garden of Gethsemane to his death, that's the only time that Jesus had lack, and it wasn't his lack, it was your lack. Get that. Because one of the things that I, I tell people even through the COVID, I was using COVID as an, as an example, but we do this all the time, is when you're praying to keep your life free from COVID, what do you got to do? Create an image in you and say, Jesus, you took COVID on that cross. And if he took it, you're not supposed to take it. See, this is not deep. We're not, we're not special. But you say, you're not afraid of getting COVID? I said, no, because I'm not believing for it. And we've been exposed, God knows how many times, and we haven't gotten it, and we're not planning to. Amen? Yeah, you do your thing, be careful, and do all that, but we're not going to fall into that crazy fear. Because if that's the case, imagine, we've got to be feared of a lot of things now. So, on that cross, he takes, he becomes sin, he becomes sickness, he becomes poverty. He becomes everything. So now that means every time you look at the cross, You should have that idea say, I'm not supposed to deal with this. Now, do we deal with sickness? Yes. Do we deal with lack? Yes. But as soon as you realize that he took it, that clears up the air with you because the predestination that God wants is for you that he said that he is the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, what is he he referring to? Jesus, you talk about, I've been attacked over this by so-called theologians that think they know something. He says, Jesus wasn't born again. I'm like, according to that, he was. Think about it. Was Jesus born again? Ooh, it's going to mess some people up. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he died on the cross. And he went to hell. And he's in hell. And then God says, son, boom. He busts out of hell. He's born again. He was born from death to life with no curse attached ever again to him. But there was a time that he had to take all the curse because he had to take your curse. Are you still tracking with me? So Jesus did come back. And the Bible, more than one instance in the New Testament, refers to him as the firstborn of many. Well, what happens after the? So in other words, he's big brother. Then you come along and millions and billions of Christians throughout history. But guess what? We're just all the other ones right behind big brother Jesus. This is really good. So everything that Jesus had working for him on this earth, guess what? Should be working for you. And if Jesus never experienced lack or sickness, aha moment, you're not supposed to experience it either. This is not deep, guys. But it is tied to purpose. Because we're going back to that little line. According to his purpose. What was the purpose? That we could follow in his steps. Let's go to verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, that's us, then he also called, and whom he called, then he also justified and whom he justified that he also glorified and the word glorified here is not like somebody saying a song about glory that that word glory means heavy with everything good that's what it actually means the word glory from the bible means heavy with everything good so now he's telling you, you know number one if you're called to his purpose you're predestinated to walk like jesus not only to walk like jesus on this earth but also to walk in the justification of jesus and also to walk in the glory of Jesus. Now, you're not Jesus, and don't go acting like you're Jesus, but you get to walk through it. And you begin to carry that same anointing. And now, because, you know, I'm going back to, the, this whole series is based on our personal experience. When I started going to prison ministry, again, I was just the guy who carried the Bibles. Well, it was amazing, I, you know, God knows everything. But it wasn't but like three months after that that the whole team began to dissolve. You know, one guy couldn't make it anymore, and the the guy that was preaching couldn't make it anymore, and and the pastor couldn't make it anymore because the pastor would go with us every once in a while. And then one day I got stuck with me being the only one to go. I was the guy that carries the Bible. That was it. But you know what? I wasn't qualified, but I was available. And God will pick available every time over qualified. The Word of God says he picks the foolish things to confound the wise. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're watching me online this morning you're saying, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know what my life's been. You don't No, no, no. If you feel you're unqualified, you're totally qualified. If you feel like a fool, you're totally qualified. <laughs> Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Liz is listening to another sermon while I'm preaching. You don't like my sermon, Liz? I'm gonna go pick on you now, you see. She knows I love her. I can pick on her. That's so embarrassing she can handle it. (laughs) Do you see where we're going with this? You're qualified because he qualifies you. Well, I need to go to Bible school. Bible school is good, but Bible school doesn't make you a preacher. The calling makes you a preacher. Bible school just educates you. And if you think going to Bible school is a calling to the ministry, you're so wrong. God calls you first. Then you should study to show yourself approved. Don't misunderstand me. Don't go out there and I'm called and you don't know anything about the Bible because you're going to run a bunch of people that know a lot about the Bible. No, you've got to study and get, 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 you know, get educated. But that doesn't make you a preacher. That doesn't make you a minister. That doesn't make you a missionary. The calling is on all of us, but it's up to each individual to develop that calling. Are you with me? I've got to hurry up. The clock's beating me. So, moreover whom he did predestinate then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. Who justified, he also glorified. Now we're going to go into the area. Before I, I click the next slide, I'll introduce it. Let's, let's approach some of the hindrances and some of the blocks that you could have in your life. Because it will. You think the devil's just going to let you prance into whatever God has called? No, no, he's going to set up some roadblocks. But most of the roadblocks are inside of you already. So I, I, I put this one in here. I just call them negative drivers. And you know what? When I was doing this, every one of those I had it. <laughs> when I came to Jesus, I had every one of those working in my life. I didn't miss one of them. And by the way, this is not my list. This, is, this came, I adopted this from one of Rick Warren's books that I said that was funny when I read it because I'm like, man, that was me. When I first came to Jesus, I was so full of guilt. I, was, I had so much anger. I had so many fears. I was completely materialistic. And I had this Really weird sense of need for approval. As as tough as I like to act and as bad as I thought I was, deep, deep down inside, I was very, very, very insecure. And all of it was a show. All that tough guy was a show. Because inside it was a lot of insecurity. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Are you here? So let's break them down. So the negative drivers in your life, and these are the things that you're going to have to understand because the devil will beat you down with every one of those to tell you you're disqualified. The first one is guilt. Who are you to tell somebody about Jesus? Don't you remember that last year, blah, 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 and you did this, and you did that, and you were wrong, and you stole, and you did this, and he'll just beat you up, and he'll drive you those memories into your head, and every one of those memories will tell you, you can't do this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He'll just beat you with that thing. Guilt and guilt. Well, guess what the Romans Romans chapter 8 starts with? Verse 1, I'm not going to put it up there because (laughs) the clock's leaving us really fast, but here it is. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's what it says, no condemnation. If there's no condemnation, guess what there is no? There's no guilt. So guilt, which is driven by memories, point number two, are you a product of your past? Well, we're all products of our past. Guess what? We don't have to be prisoners of it. We all have past. Did you know the beautiful thing about God? That he'll use your past, as nasty as it is, and he'll use it to help people. That's right, My past, I'm not proud of it, but guess what? The past that I had, God has used it to help lots of people. Because when somebody talks to me about drug addiction, I can relate. I'm not saying, you know, there's some wonderful people and great counselors that have never been on drugs, but I'm saying when somebody tells me, hey, I'm dealing with, with addiction, I'm like, uh-huh, I know, I've been there. I'm dealing with alcoholism. Uh Uh-huh, I know, I've been there. I know what it's like. Let's talk about it. So, you know, what the devil used to destroy you, God will use the same thing to be a blessing for people. So just remember this. Your past has even, even your past has a purpose, but you don't want to be a prisoner of it. Because your past will scream at you, oh, you're good for nothing, you're disqualified, you're this, or your mama told you, your daddy told you, somebody told you you were good for nothing. no. I'm not gonna go by what my parents said, I'm gonna go by what God said. Number two, you gotta deal with anger and resentment, especially even anger can be, you know, a burst of anger, but resentment that was big on me. And I know that kind of came a little bit on my mom's side because I I've shared the story. You know, my mom, when my mom and my dad had a fight or an argument, they didn't, they never really had a fight. You know. My parents had very sophisticated fights. Monica's parents, that was like a whole different planet. Over there, they're pulling guns and stuff. No. I mean, two college professors fighting is a very intellectual fight, just let me tell you that. you know. But um, my mom would hold it. My dad and I, my dad would blow up and yell at everybody, and a minute later, he's like, hey, y'all want to go have some ice cream? And we're like, my sister's like, my dad, I mean, she's watching. God bless you, Darcy, watching us from Augusta. And they would be fine. I'm, I'm looking, my mom and I would look at my sister and my dad like, really, guys? You all just had like this major meltdown, and you're like fine with it now? And my mom would hold it and hold it. Well, guess what? That kind of stuck in my DNA. And so I had to fight these things, because when somebody did me wrong, it would sit there. Come on, somebody, raise your hand if I'm, if I'm connecting to you. It just sits there and cooks, and pretty soon your mind is thinking, because, you know, as Mexicans, we do have an obligation to get even. You know that. I mean, that—that's you know, rasa. You know, we—you can't, can't just let it go. Are you kidding me? That's—that's that's what white people do. We don't let it go. Say, <laughs> amen, ladies, and all the men are like, mm-hmm. They don't ever let it go. You think the elephants have a great memory? <laughs> My wife would pull things out of the archives like when we were 16. I'm like, how do you remember that? Oh, get off of that one. Men, am I talking the truth or not? You're going to fight with your wife or your girlfriend? Ooh, she's gonna. You're better off not telling her anything about your past because she'll go in there. Now, resentment is a very dangerous thing. Resentment and anger, does it cause me to live in the past while others move on? Think about that one. How many people have moved on and you're still cooking in resentment? They don't even talk about it, they don't even think about it, you're still there boiling. All these things will hinder your calling. So I'm saying, the calling of God is irrevocable, but the calling of God does take major, major character modification. And if you're going to be just carrying resentment and anger all the time, you're not going to be good. I mean, you're, not going, to, you're going to be a good person, but you're not going to fulfill your destiny. The past cannot hurt me unless I hold on to it. Isn't that a revelation? So look at your and say, get over it. Look at him again and say, get over it today. All right. Number, number three, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because we, we, we need to do like a whole sermon on this one, but fear. Failure of your past will hinder your future. Because failure in the past, fear of failure in the past will always hinder your future. You have to deal with fear. Fear has many causes. If I live in fear, I will miss many opportunities. Fear will hold you back. Look what what COVID's about. What is COVID about? It's about fear. As soon as there's like, it's amazing, you know, our governor said, what he said and what people are interpreting are two different things. Because what the governor said, he says the state is not going to require anything. What people said, he's a mass murderer. No, y'all want to wear a mask? You want to sleep with a mask? Go for it. I don't care. That's basically what he said. Y'all want to wear masks till Jesus comes? Wear masks. He just says the state of Texas is no longer going to require That's all he said. But you know what drives fear? Because now people are afraid of taking the mask off. So they're going to have to blame the governor. I'm not, I'm not here trying to make a position for the governor if he's right or wrong. I think he's right. I think this is ridiculous. I think everybody should be adult enough and smart enough to make your own decisions regarding COVID. You have underlying health conditions? Take care of yourself. Do what you need to do. Just don't walk in fear. Amen. And that's, that's basically, so fear is, is a, a, will freeze you, fear will paralyze your calling, and you have, because the biggest fear, which is the biggest fear that a Christian has? Going back to my very first scripture I used, fear of rejection. Well, if I tell them about Jesus, they're going to make fun of me. Well, Jesus got spat on on a cross for you. So you've got to have to get through some of these fears. Because if you're going to walk around your whole life with fear of rejection, the same people that you're afraid of them rejecting you, those people don't like you anyway. They're already rejecting you. The moment you said, I'm a Christian, they're already rejecting you. So you might as well go all the way. You're already rejected, so you might as well go all the way, right? I know you're rejecting me, but you're going to go to hell if you don't meet Jesus, right? Just go ahead and tell them. No, don't do that. Don't be that harsh. So fear has to be dealt with. Like, and that's like a whole series right there. And another one is materialism. Because, you know, when you don't have anything... You know, especially you know, the way my life formed from the 16 and then coming up to the United States and then getting a half-decent job and making a little money, pretty soon you realize all the things you didn't have, you've got to have them all, right? And so materialism begins to drive, and then you make this mistake. The more things I can, I can have, they make me more important. They make me more happy. They make me more secure. And I said this at the beginning. Money doesn't fix anything. Money just makes you comfortable while you're still miserable. So you got to deal with materialism. You know, things can't, you know, first of all, what is materialism? Is it Materialism, buying stuff? No. Materialism, let me give you the definition of materialism. Materialism is very simply trying to meet a spiritual need with material goods. There's a void in you, there's an empty space in you that only Jesus can fill. And if Jesus is not filling that space, guess what's going to fill it? Every, everything else, you're trying to fill it with something. How many of you, you know, don't raise your hand, but we've been there. You know, there's something in your life you really, really want. You want a new gun, you want a new car, you want a new dress, you want a new, new something. Nothing wrong with that. God gave you the desire to like new things, right? But to think that that thing's going to fill you and bring you happiness, well, what happens when you buy it? You're still as miserable as you were before you had it. Because things can't make you happy. Well, the calling, you have to understand, and I guess I'm going back to some of the stuff that I, that I reject as a preacher. A lot of the stuff that we see coming from the pulpit is just materialism. You know, and there's a, again, I'm not, not, I'm not talking, of, there's a lot of good, good guys out there, but there's enough out there that get a lot of air space or air voice that are not right. And they're using people to meet their needs. Are you here? Kenneth Copeland said, prosperity is the ability of God on your ability to meet the needs of people. And people aren't called to meet your needs. You're called to meet people's needs. Think about that. That's the best answer. You want to get rid of materialism? Be a, become a giver. I like that. Again, this, this, is, this is something that I pulled from, from Rick Warren's book. Number two says, Net worth and self-worth are not the same. Amen? Develop Humility has nothing to do with poverty. Humility is is an attitude of the heart. Amen? Another one, a big one for me, I didn't realize I had this problem until years and years later. And it's funny, some of you say, like, I I can't believe he had that problem. Do you realize that one of the biggest, 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 I'm talking monster, gigantic fear in my life was to speak in front of people? Some of you are like, well, he got delivered of that. (laughs) I know what some of you are thinking, he got way delivered of that because he goes on way too long. Need for approval. Are you controlled by other people's expectations? You don't have to answer. Just think about it. Because if you're going to walk in your calling, the only person you should be concerned about expectations is God. You cannot deliver people if you're not delivered from people. Let that one sink. That doesn't mean to be ugly and and mean that I'm delivered from people. I love every one of you. And, and I do care what you think. Don't think because I don't care what you think. No, I do. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to lose any sleep of it if you don't agree with me. I do care what you think. I'm, so I don't care what people think. No, I do care what people think. If I didn't care what people think, I'd be preaching to you in shorts and a cutoff right now. That's why I got my little suit on. I'll never wear it again until next Sunday. No, I do care what people think. But I don't care enough for them to hinder what God thinks. Because God will... God will ask you to do things that a lot of people won't agree with. Amen. And then you have to make a decision. Am I going to seek God's approval on this decision or am I going to seek people's approval? I made a choice a long time ago. I said, you know what, God, it's going to be your word and it's going to be your approval. And I'm going to try not to hurt people and I'm going to try to be an idiot. But at the end of the day, if they don't agree with me anymore, you know, it's like, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. And also, you know, let me throw this one out there. God is not a democracy. Well, for that matter, America is not a democracy. Just in case, I'm not going to get into American history, but we're a republic. Still different. People are saying a democracy. No, we're not a democracy. But nonetheless, we vote for people, we put them in office. Well, at least we used to vote for people. Anyway, um, we have opinions. If the majority rules, okay, that's fine. That's democracy. No, no problem with that. But God is not a democracy. God's a theocracy. In other words, God said it. He's not opening for voting system. And that's a problem with the church, modern church today. People keep thinking that the church should be a democracy. And that's why we, they're, they're struggling with the LGBTQ issues and they're struggling with this and struggling with that. And we have no problem with that. People need help. People need all kinds of help. We love everybody equally. But God is not a democracy. And if God says something is, is not godly, guess what, church? It's not godly. <laughs> I'm not going to go down this path, but I'm saying accept that. God will hear you out, and you might have some really good ideas, but at the end of the day, it's his plan. It's his purpose. And the, and the, and the quicker you submit to that, the, the greater you're going to grow. Because you can sit here and tell God how to do things, and he just kind of smiles at you. It's like kids coming to me, you know, it's, it's amazing. Again, I'm not knocking this. I listen to a lot of people. I, I listen to little kids. I'll listen. Caden will talk. I'll listen to him. But the people who come and have this idea, like, you know, some 17-year-old, and he's got all the answers for life, and I'm going to be 55, I look at him like, oh, you're so cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, this and that, and you guys should do this, and you guys should do that. I'm like, uh-huh. And you should shut up. That's what you can do. I mean, I'm serious. You should shut up and learn some things from other people that are doing it. Hello, y'all leave at once? Well, God is kind of like that. You can talk and you can rant, you can complain, and God will just smile at you and say, Yeah, when you're done with that, just go do what the word says. You're supposed to forgive. Well, I don't feel like it. It huh, doesn't matter. Again, it's not open for voting. And that is kind of when you begin to understand this, this need for approval. Yes, again, we do care what people think. I've heard people say, I don't care what I heard people say, I don't care what anybody thinks. Yes, you do. But at the same time, you can't build your whole life trying to please everybody around you because people pleasers are some of the saddest people in the world because they never get to please everybody. Is that correct? Be a good person. Be nice, but don't be a people pleaser because, you know, what is your goal in life? Just to make people happy? Good people like you? You got God likes you. God loves you. God made you. That should be, with, with God, it's a majority. Amen? And I'll tell you what, if you become godly, a lot of people will like you. There's some people that are going to reject you, but the ones that matter are going to like you. Huh. The ones that matter are going to think you're, 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 you're important in their lives. Amen? So, negative drivers in your life, and I'm going through this really fast, we just still have communion, we're almost done with the service. So, positive drivers, I do want to finish this one today, I don't want to rush it, but I wanted to do something else next week. I'll try to go through these quick. These are some of the things that will build and change your attitude and change your approach. Number one, hope. Always be a person, I like to say this, be a hope pusher. Help people have hope. When people don't have hope, make sure you find something to give them hope. Amen. When people get that bad, horrible, diagnostic doctor's report, don't just sit there and say, oh yeah, that's really bad. Say, no, we're going to believe God for you. Let's cheer. We're going to stand with you for this. Let's pray for you. Amen. You want to be a generous person. Like I said earlier, right at the beginning, generosity has nothing to do with if you have anything to give. Generosity is an attitude of the heart. You know, if somebody's struggling without groceries and you got a few extra groceries, you go and deliver those groceries. That's a generous heart. Amen? You don't ignore need. You don't ignore pain. Um, Healthy relationships. What does that have to do with my calling everything? Because healthy relationships, guess what? They encourage you. Come on. You can do this. Amen? You need, you need healthy relationships. Well, what's the backside of that? Get rid of the toxic relationships. I mean, you know, again, back to the two classes of people. Who are you surrounded with? Are you surrounded with givers or takers? Who are you? Well, let's just assume you're a giver. Well, if all the people around you are just trying to take something from you, you need some new friends. Thank you for one amen. She's <laughs> right. That's, I don't need toxic people around me. I love them, I'll bless them, I'll, t- I'll teach Jesus, but I'm not having coffee with them. If I have love for them, I'm just going to hang out with them. Because I'm already pretty negative myself, and I don't need other negative people fueling my negativity. Let's just be honest. It's hard enough being positive right now. Just, on, just with you and Jesus, it's hard enough being positive. So you have to work at being positive. Do you agree with that statement? With all the COVID stuff and all the... Job stuff, and how they shut the oil field back down. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be negative. Well, what's going to happen if you get a bunch of other people that are just as negative as you are? At the end of the day, it's going to be a mass suicide. That's what's going to happen. Because everybody's going to be so depressed and so... No, if I'm already struggling with life, I need some positive people around me. I need some people that will speak life, even if it's the truth and even if it hurts, but I know it's good for me. Amen? So you got a healthy relationship. Benefits of knowing my purpose. We're almost to the end, guys. Bear with me. Gives meaning to my life. Number one, right off the top. I can wake up tomorrow morning and know that I have a reason to wake up. That there's somebody that needs us on this planet. That's why we can't give up. That's why we can't quit. Come on, guys. As a pastor, you think quitting has not been on the radar for many, many times, many, many years? Oh, yeah. When things aren't perfect, like, I can't believe I'm doing this. But now something inside just ignites you. So, we have meaning to life. And I like number two because it really does, this, this is true, it simplifies my life by, by allowing evaluation of which actions are essential. In other words, I don't have to do anything else. It's outside my calling. You remember I gave you the example of not preaching in too many churches? That's not my calling, so I'm not concerned about it. I've had preachers say, wouldn't you like to do, because, you know, we talked to pastors and somebody said, wouldn't it be cool to be like some of these preachers that just travel all over the country, all over the world, preaching in different churches? I'm like, No. He looked at me like, wouldn't that be cool? No, if it's not my calling, it wouldn't be cool. They would be miserable. I would be rich and miserable. I'd rather sleep in a tent, which my wife and I have done, in the mountains in Ukraine, ministering to young people. As uncomfortable as that was, as cold as it was, we were fulfilled in that. Sleeping in uncomfortable places, eating God knows what. We can do that because that's part of our calling. I mean, preaching in Cuba, are you kidding me? That church is a concrete block it's so hot. You agree with that, Miriam? <laughs> and one thing about the boxes, us, we like to sweat. Boxes, we sweat. We sweat just looking at you. <laughs> I would soak, I would, when I was preach it's uncomfortable because I would take two or three, especially if we had two or three sessions, and I'd leave them in the car and I would preach and I would s- completely soaked. You know, T.D. Jakes had nothing on me, We just tell you that. You go to the car, you go take another clean shirt, put it on, translate for Pastor Dan, completely soaked. That was uncomfortable, but as uncomfortable as it was, I wasn't uncomfortable, because it's your calling. When you find your calling, God gives you all the graces that you need. It's amazing. So, you know, it simplifies my life. I don't have to worry about things I'm not called to do. And then... It allows me to have a way to allocate my time and resources. Why? Because I'm focused. Number three, it causes me to focus my efforts on what is important to me. And number four, my calling motivates me. It keeps me coming back every Sunday. Are you here? this? So if I don't come back next Sunday, you've figured out what happened. It's right there. <laughs> Discovering your calling. Quick, to take a screenshot, I'm going to shotgun these really fast for you. What do you enjoy doing? Your calling will be around that. Um, what excites you? What, what creates energy in your life. Number three, is there a specific people or group that I'm naturally drawn to? Do you have a, and this is important here now because this is where the meat of it is for you guys. We need every one of you in some capacity here. We need people in our welcome center, in our children's church, in our nursery, in our super kids, on the cleaning team, missions team, financial team, whatever team. So, is there a specific people or group that you're naturally drawn to? See, I'm naturally drawn to situations like Ukraine. I'm naturally drawn to situations like in Mexico. I'm naturally drawn to situations as like in Cuba, just that there's a natural attraction to those things. Um, does a career or area of service exist that encompasses what I'm passionate about? So do you, first comes the passion, then comes the training, in other words. And what are the few things other people have said that I'm really good at? Other people can identify your calling. Like, you know, you're really good at this. You're really good at that. So, and the last one is what social crisis causes righteous anger. You know, Jesus had righteous anger. Anger is not a sin if it's righteous. In other words, what bugs you? I'll tell you what bugs me. Communism bugs me. A lot. And when you go to Cuba and you see it and you breathe it and you see it, especially right now what they're going through, is horrific. You guys have no idea what is going on in Cuba right now. I talk to Pastor Ola every week. Every week I talk to him. And it's just worse and worse to the point there's no food. It just, I'm I, I'm not free to share things because we're online and they watch everything <laughs> before they give you a visa. So, Anyway, last scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 17. And ushers, you may get ready. We're going to have communion right after this. I'm not trying to rush this, but this is a really good one. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer, pay attention now, in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them. I mean that is, a, that is one of those scriptures that that means every one of you is assigned to something. I don't know what it is. I can't tell you. But I, I'm giving you an outline. I'm giving you something to, for you to think about, about what your passion is and so, so forth. But here the, the scripture is so powerful because he says in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, and then he says just as God has called them, and this is Paul writing, of course, it's, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. In other words, this was a central aspect of paul's ministry this wasn't just a little thought a little bleep a little you know holy ghost moment he this was big on paul paul would go to these churches that he would start and one of the big things that he would preach about was purpose he had it as a rule he didn't and we don't have that rule here as a rule but he has it i lay down this rule in all the, what was the rule find your place that was the rule find your in other words there's no lazy people in the kingdom Say amen. Even though you're that one, no, just kidding. Say amen. Come on. God, God wants us working. You know what happens when you're active in the kingdom? You don't get bored. When you're active in the kingdom, you don't backslide because you got something to do. The people that that, that backslide, the people that give up on God, is because they're not doing anything for God. Find something, and it might not be your immediate calling. You know, I st- I started in, in jail ministry, and I have a passion for jail ministry. But if you tell me, Pastor, are you going to go full time jail? No. God put me there for a reason. He put me there for a season. But if I hadn't had that foundation, I couldn't be with you today. I had to have that foundation. That's where I learned how to preach. You've got to pray for those poor prisoners. Because when I first went there, I didn't know what to say. I was like, it was weird. But that's the place that God put me as a training ground. Yes, I had all the Bible studies. Yes, I did the school. But what really mattered in ministry was going to the prison ministry. Because that helped me understand these things. Amen? And God's calling every one of you, and you just need to pray this thing through. I hope I helped somebody this morning, because I can't tell you what your calling is. But with the format and the framework I gave you, you know, you'll find it. Some of you, your career, where you are, God has called you. The career is not the calling, but God has called you in the career to be a blessing to somebody. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand to our feet, and let's pray, and then I'll, I'll let the ushers minister to you. If you're here in this house, if you're watching me online and you need to be with Jesus, you need to come back home or you've never been home. When I mean come back, it's people that might feel like they've separated themselves or they're not, they're not walking in rhythm. But if you're back home, everything is right. Just bring Jesus back in. Or maybe it's your first commitment, your first time ever. This is the gospel message. Say this with me, everybody in the room, everybody watching online. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you with no excuses. I give you my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Lord, that with that acceptance, my calling comes. Amen. You may be seated. Ushers, you may minister to the people. I'll have another prayer for you, but I'll do that after communion. If you pray that, you are more than welcome to have communion with us. And you can go back and say, well, my church said this and my church said that. That's fine. I respect that. But I'm just saying what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't, doesn't put all those conditions. I came from a church that said, if you weren't water baptized, you couldn't have communion. That's not in the Bible. There's some churches that say, well, if you're divorced, you can't have communion. That's not in the Bible. You know, that's, that's specific doctrines for those different churches. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It says, do this in remembrance of him. That's all it says. And, and we do this once a month. We believe, we set the month in order. If you're watching online, go get your piece of bread and some water or if you have grape juice, whatever you have, it doesn't have to be grape juice. Just something that symbolizes who Jesus was, who Jesus is and what he did for us. And that's what communion does. It's a symbol bread is a symbol, the wine is a symbol of the blood, bread is a symbol of the body. You guys know that. And a lot of major issues have gotten resolved in my life and the life of my wife over communion. You know what we're going to take communion over this morning, guys? As a church? Then you take your specific one? Let's just really take communion and let's believe God that COVID is over. Pastor Dan posted... The pandemic's over. he got so many people criticizing him. Just people that don't understand. But you know what he's doing is Bible. We're calling the things that are not as though they were. That's when you say the pandemic is over. It's over. COVID is over. And if it's not over in the world, it's over in your life. Do you believe that? You know? Everybody ready? Praise God. Let's, let's go into it. So that's as a church. The other thing I want you to do is specifically in your life, maybe this message motivates you. you, say, You know, I don't really know what my calling is. Ask God to show you. Take communion over. Say, Lord, I want to know my calling. Or maybe you're dealing with sickness and disease, or you're struggling, relational, or anywhere. He says, Take communion over. Seal it in the promises of God. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, it says, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. When he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood, this do you often as you drink it in remembrance of me let me pray for you, Father I just thank you for the word this morning, I thank you Lord back in 1992 when I didn't know what I was doing with my life, you showed up and you considered that we could be used for something. And Father, I felt so disqualified. I felt like I was the last person that would ever be able to do anything for you, Jesus. But you saw something, and I thank you for that. And Father, in the same way that you saw something in Monica and I's, our lives, with all our deficiencies, <laughs> with all our issues, there are people here this morning that feel disqualified. It's really on my heart, so just close your eyes, bear with me. Because everyone's born again. But I do want to pray over this that one point that I mentioned about guilt. Or having to be a people pleaser. That just came up right now. Condemnation. Somebody said something to you and you felt disqualified. It could have been a mentor, a mom, a dad, a coach, a teacher. And those words just set deeply in your heart. Man, I can see this in the spirit so clearly. Right Somebody said something, and it just, boom, it just slammed the brakes on it in your life. But well, today, that brakes is it's getting off. You are qualified. Father, I thank you right now for those people that are here in this building, those that are watching on the online church, that, Father, somebody's disqualified them. I just thank you by the Holy Spirit right now. You are bringing them back, absolute qualified for the master's use. I thank you that this is a church that has purpose, and I thank you that our calling, Lord, for 30 years has been primarily directed to people that have been oppressed and people that put put down people that are under the control under the yoke of other people. And we received it and we and we enjoy it, Lord, and Lord, let this be 2021, let us go back to Cuba, let us go back to Ukraine, back to the Navajo reservation, back to Mexico, Lord. Monica and I love this. I just thank you, but I pray for those that are here that will be used in this community. And I know some of these People will go on mission trips. Some of these people will do amazing things for you. But, Father, I just pray that this group right now goes forth into their communities, be it Heavenville or Bruni or where have you, other places. And, Father, that they will be able to make a difference in their workplace, in the schoolhouse, Father, everywhere. And that ministries that are needed, like the jail ministry, will be birthed. Father, from this series, that somebody will be stirred up inside to say, I can go to the jail and talk to these guys, or to go to the jail and talk to these ladies. Father, I just pray that something is being birthed here. And I give you glory and praise for this service. And we bless it and we thank you for this time together. And I thank you that healing is going forth in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Praise God. Glory be to Jesus. Ushers, you may minister back to the people. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God bless you. Glory be to Jesus. Well, I'm not going to keep you much longer, and Kathy will come up here to give you the announcements and all that, but you know what we do. We worship with our giving, and I want to thank everyone for their generosity because this is what keeps everything going. Amen? We had to give you guys an idea. You know, we try to manage the things the best we can, and we have a team. We're not, I'm not alone. We are, we have a board. We have a great team of leaders. We had a meeting, Zoom meeting this week, and guys wonder what it costs, and we came up, we we came up with all the financials, it's funny, because our overhead in Hebronville is bigger than our rent in Laredo, and that was kind of an interesting, fun fact, so, you know, your money keeps the doors open, your money keeps things going, you know, our our light bills, everyone's light bill has climbed up a little bit, yeah, our overhead was everything, insurance, and IRS, and everything else we do was, what did we come up with, Kathy, around 25? 2200 dollars a month. You know that's what that's what it costs to keep the, the church open. And guess what? Get, every month we have it. Glory be to God. You know, it does take money, and, and it, every everything counts. You know, those of you that can give generously, God bless you. Those that give sacrificially, there's people that are barely getting along. But every every dollar matters. It doesn't. It's not about oh well, the big givers or the small givers. God loves what kind of giver? Cheerful. He didn't say God loves a rich giver. He says, God loves cheerful cheerfully. Have joy in this. You know, invest in something that's part of your life. You know, hopefully this church has been transparent enough to your life that you can trust us. Hopefully. I can't, I can't make you trust me, but hopefully you can see or look around and say, you know what? They do what they say. You know, if they say they're going to do something in Cuba, they do something in Cuba. You know, if they say they're going to do something, they do it. So that trust, you know, the same trust that you have that you give me as a pastor to speak into your Spiritual life to speak into your family should be the same trust in the area of your finances. That's all I'm saying. You know, if you trust it, you support it. but because of you, there's a church in Mexico that the doors are open. We're continually helping Cuba. You know, we don't continually help help, help Ukraine. We have, and and Bennett, we've we've done what we can also with the Navajo Nation. But thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you so much online. You guys are part of this also. You know, thank you for your generosity thank you for being a blessing, because you guys are a big part of this. We have a good, good online church. So, said that. God bless you guys. If you know anybody in Laredo, our service will be today at 2 o'clock, so I have plenty of time to get there. Glory to God. Miss Kathy, come up in and deliver the people from me. God bless you guys.
1: Okay, guys. Well, it was an amazing and a wonderful service. How many of you guys got a word this morning? I know I did. It was an amazing word that was delivered today. And we need that truth. We need that meat in our lives. And we're very grateful for our pastor for delivering that word to us. You know, and without any feelings you know being i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings he gives it straight to us the way god has written it down and then given it to us personally so we're very grateful for that so if you do want to go ahead and give an offering there's envelopes on your seats already right next to you Um, And you can go ahead and check off the amount that you're giving and where you want it to be directed. Everything that goes that you check off, we enter it into the systems and you can be rest assured that the places that needs it, the places that you do uh, check off, it does go and bless those places and missions and speakers and uh, other under other fundraisers that we do have. So if you'd rather give online electronically, you can text the word faithway to 77977. And then you can just follow the prompts directly after that. So we can go oh let me go ahead and um give you guys the meeting the announcements ladies the monthly ladies meeting is going to be this thursday the 11th at 6 p.m so ladies, if you haven't attended this one, the, these are fun. These are made specifically just for you, just for ladies. So you can bring your sisters, your friends, your neighbors. Bring someone, 18 and over. You guys come and eat. We come and eat here. Like, it's the best food. If you're not on a diet, this is a place to be because you're going to get, like, a whole table full of whatever you can imagine. Like, it's going to be there. So it's good food, and it's great fellowship. You get to converse with one another, and you get to build your relationships with Christ and build your relationships with each other. You know, just how we went over in the service, your community, who are you serving, You're surrounding yourself with? Who are those five people, you know, in your life that you're constantly hanging around with or talking to on the phone? Who are you surrounding with? This is a good place to start getting these friendships going. This is a good place to get this into your life because you develop these relationships and it's a fun time for all the ladies to get out and commune with each other. So that's Thursday the 11th at 6 p.m., so parents, I know that we usually deliver, we, um, go ahead and dismiss our kids out through that door but your kids that are in jam club the pre-k ages um are here in the building they're back in the jam club classroom so whenever you go to pick up your your students they will be here and your older kids the super kids the 7 through 11 will be outside in the, the regular super kids building so um they are back in session into the original classroom so and then again as always We have many, many opportunities for you guys to serve. You know, God has called each and every one of us. Each and every one of us has gifts. You might know them already. You might not. You might be afraid, but there is no fear. We don't operate here with any fear, so we just want to welcome you guys and speak to somebody who's back there in the Welcome Center. It's usually Iris who will be back there now. Um, Speak to her, and we can help you guys and guide you into the right departments and help you identify your gifts and get you serving. So let's go ahead and stand, and if I missed any announcements, I apologize, and we'll get that next.